Cold pitching is something we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, in part because it's a tactic that a lot of beginning copywriters and content creators use to find their first clients. Former guests on the podcast like Laura Lopich and Chris Collins have shared what they do. And if you haven't heard those episodes, you should definitely go back and listen to what they had to share. Today's guest for the 224th episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is Bree Weber. Bree has a somewhat different approach to cold pitching, one that takes a lot more time, but also seems to get better results. At one point during this interview, we asked Bree to share one of the pitches that she's actually sent to land a project. And when you hear it, we're sure you'll stop what you're doing to take notes, or you'll come back and listen again while you craft your own pitch. It's that good. But before we jump in with Bree, this episode is brought to you by the copywriter Think Tank. And Bree is actually a member of this Think Tank Mastermind. Um, so I'm just curious, Rob, what is your favorite part about the Think Tank Mastermind? So honestly, I think it's the community. I just love hanging out with the copywriters that we have in the Mastermind. Uh, you know, a lot of times we would talk about all the things that you get, you know, monthly meetings and trainings and the retreats and all of that. But I think the community there and the support and help that they give each other and that we're able to offer is really what makes it really a unique experience. How about you? Yeah, I just think it's the caliber of copywriter that we attract in the think tank and every single person that's in it has brings their own expertise and experiences, um, like Brie, as you're about to hear, um, who's an expert in so many different areas. And so I personally learn so much from every single member in this group. And um, it's just got a really good vibe. And again, if you kind of want to be in a room with copywriters and marketers who are um, figuring out new ways to build their business and to bend the rules and um, just think differently about copywriting and these businesses that we're building, it's definitely a room that you might want to check out. So if you're interested, you can learn more at www.copywriterthinktank.com. So in the past year, Brie has dramatically grown her business and even launched a program where she shares what she's learned in the cold pitching trenches. But before we get to all of that, let's start with Brie's answer to our question about how she became a copywriter. I had been a, what I, what I kind of think of as an accidental entrepreneur. I started freelancing and um, not really with intention. And so uh, most of my first year or two of freelancing was just kind of an extension of my last employee job. And I decided it really wasn't the kind of fit that I wanted anymore. I was happy to be freelancing um, and not going back to an employee role, but I wanted to be doing something different and I just didn't really know what that was. So I started something that I like to think of now as business roulette, where I just sort of created this list of potential business ideas and randomly generated uh, one to start with and basically just tested it out for seven days to see if it would show progress. And if it didn't, I would um, drop it and roll another idea. And if it showed progress initially and then kind of petered off or didn't really match my criteria of what I wanted my business to do for me, I would um, drop it and roll a new one. And content writing was actually the fifth idea that I tested out and it really took off for me. And after about 
another six months or so, I recognized that copywriting was a thing. And it was sort of uh, this greater extension of what I was doing as a content writer at the time and decided to go all in as a copywriter. I love that. So what are the first four ideas that didn't work? So one of the first ones um, that I canceled within a day or two was um, pet photography. I also tested out being a video game streamer. That was a pretty wild ride for a few weeks. And uh, another one that I had tested out was all around um, creating educational programs for senior citizens, which I thought was brilliant to deliver <laughs> over the internet until I realized that both the government libraries and like uh, the AARP all do that for free. I have a daughter who loves watching the streamer. So I'm curious, is it still online? Oh Can they find your videos? I'm not sure if any of them are still live, um, but I did stream on Twitch, um, mostly indie games and uh, some Diablo 3. One of my favorite games is um, Super Meat Boy. It's just impossible <laughs> to win. Just, I don't know how the speedrunners do it. Um, but I actually did that as somebody who had basically no video game experience before that. Like I was not a gamer before I tested that out. Nice. I kind of like the idea of a non-gamer being a streamer because it, it seems kind of funny. But I'm guessing that the hardcore stream watchers wouldn't be all that interested in, in stuff that they're not learning from. Yeah, probably not a ton. I think they would come occasionally and drop me some tips, but... I like I'm still terrible at video games. <laughs> okay, so how like what was the process for coming up with those ideas that you want to try? I know we're not really talking about copywriting here, but I'm I'm just curious like how did you generate the the list for the roulette? Yeah, it was a really a big kind of a brain dump. And I I had a, a small bit of criteria that I was working with. So, I knew that eventually the business that I wanted to to build was going to be um, something that was profitable, obviously, because it's a business. I wanted it to be something I was passionate about and something that I really enjoyed doing and something that had a purpose, like served a purpose in the market. And when I thought about the type of lifestyle that I want, I was thinking about what could I do remotely because um, I like to travel and move around. And what could I do that would allow me to feel connected to other people without um, being responsible entirely for um, all moving pieces of a project, which in my former career in book publishing, that's often what I was doing. And it could be um, really intense or overwhelming at times. Have you used this same process since you became a copywriter in other aspects of your business as you're thinking about offers and ideas? Absolutely. I kind of think about it as just sort of applying the principles of the scientific method to my business, right? And this initially started for what the business is going to be. And now I think I do the same thing around what offers am I going to try? What services am I going to provide? What marketing channels am I going to try? Um, and one of the really big things that I did during this process was just to track everything, really keep note of what's happening so that I could go back and analyze what's working, what's not working, and then start to make decisions um, based on real information rather than just what it feels like might be happening, which sometimes is true, but sometimes isn't um, quite as realistic as we think it is. And do you use any tools as you're brainstorming in this way that like help you get more ideas out? Or is it just simply Brie sits down at her desk with a paper and a pencil and she just starts kind of free flow idea generation? So for the original concept around the business um, seeds, I really just sort of sat down and brainstormed. And when I hit kind of a limit, 
I reached out to maybe five people, um, friends, family, who know me really, really well to say, you know, what are the types of things that you think that I'm good at? What are the types of things that um, I really excel in or that you know that I'm passionate about? So I could use that to generate more ideas. And in uh, my business now, I'm often reaching out to communities of copywriters and other business owners to do the same thing. Not often asking, what do you think I can do or what should I do? But more asking, um, you know, what comes to, to mind when I say this or what ideas does this spark? And just to kind of continue that brainstorming process in a more collaborative fashion. Awesome. Okay. So I have a feeling we're going to come back to that idea in a little while, but um, while we're kind of still here at the beginning of your career, what was it about content writing? What did you do differently? Or what was the thing that happened that made that click for you so that that was the thing that was successful? I think a little bit was that it felt like coming back to my roots. So I had written creatively all throughout school. I attended um, or rather I majored in English literature and, and writing courses. So it was something I was always kind of doing. And then again, in my um, book publishing career, I was really focused on the marketing side. So I was doing a lot of content and copywriting without really recognizing it. We just kind of called it marketing writing, if you will. And so a lot of the concepts felt very comfortable and familiar. And when I first got started, I was on platforms like Fiverr, writing long form blog posts for $5. And but I realized I could write something really quickly, um, that was incredibly effective for what their the, um, those clients goals were. And uh, it was um, really natural for me, it didn't feel like I was um, pushing myself to uh, an extreme. And I thought, what if I was like, what if I was really pushing myself and working really hard? And um, what could I do with that? And so it just really kind of excited me in that way. Brie, just because I need a timeline here, when, when did you become a copywriter or content writer? So this was about the middle of 2018. All right. So when did you feel like you made it as a writer? Um, and as a follow-up to that, what factors contributed to that feeling of like, okay, like I'm legit. I've got a solid business here. What did you do to get to that point? Well, I'll say sometimes I don't feel that way even now, but I do think that um, being able to track really on a weekly basis and see how much um, how many words I was writing, how much money I was making, how many clients I was working with um, really helped. And I think it was about four months into the process um, of continual success, I was um, growing my business at least 30% every, um, I think it was almost almost every week, but at least every month. And then I realized, uh, you know, I had something that I could really build and grow um, into something more. And then it was really in the beginning of 2019, that I discovered copywriting and felt like I kind of started from scratch a little bit. And in terms of transitioning from, okay, I was a content writer and now I'm a copywriter. Talk a little bit about your process for, you know, measuring that growth early on, you know, when you're making sure that you're growing 30%, is that like revenue numbers or is it, um, you know, measured by projects or, you know, how were you looking at that to make sure that you were growing? Yeah. So initially I was definitely looking at revenue numbers. Of course I started from, you know, $5 for a project. So 30% initially wasn't very big, but it grew exponentially until I got to a point where I realized, okay, I can pay my bills with this. I can start to let go of some of the book publishing clients that I was still working with at that time to 
you know, pay my bills and, and fund everything. And I realized, okay, I'm at a point where I can uh, move into this uh, full time. So revenue was a really big metric at first. And I think it's only been in 2020 that I started looking at um, additional, less tangible metrics, like my confidence level, how I feel about what I'm doing, the types of clients that I work with. And now, so I'm measuring it in a slightly different way now. What were you doing to grow by that 30% every month beyond what you already shared? You know, you were raising your rates, which was easier early on, but what else were you doing to get that business and to grow? When I first got started, again, all of this was on Fiverr initially. So I was picking up gigs and kind of promising the world. So I was writing the, you know, thousand plus word articles for five, 10, $15, um, 24 hour delivery times and, uh, unlimited revisions, right? So I was, I was providing a ton of value for, you know, five or 15 bucks. Um, and that really helped to start, um, building up some clientele. And then when I got to a point where I realized I needed to move off the platform, I just started reaching out to everyone in my network to say, I know that you know me as someone who is in the book marketing space, but I've moved into content writing. And here's how that's similar. And here's how I could potentially serve you or someone that you know. And I just started asking for um, people to help me spread the word. And through that process, I started to get my own direct clients and um, was able to start raising my rates more significantly because I wasn't on a platform that had so much competition. Yeah, that's smart. So then as you started to switch from content marketing to copywriting, uh, first, why why make the switch? And second, what did you do in, in order to make the jump? I think one of the big things that drove me to want to make the switch was I recognized just how much kind of power really there is in copywriting. And I wanted to tie my work more directly to a result. So being able to say this sales page resulted in this number of sales felt really powerful to me. And although content writing definitely has some metrics to it in terms of education and being able to inspire people to action, it just felt like the through line was a little bit more muddled. So I liked the the directness between um, kind of what we start with and what we end with in terms of um, a launch, for example. And I think another thing was at the time, uh, everything that I was reading and sort of consuming seemed to indicate that copywriting had a lot more growth potential than content writing. Now that I look back, um, I'm not sure that that's um, 100% true across the board for everyone, but that was a lot of the information that I was working with at the time. And then in terms of how I grew it, initially, I didn't. I really plateaued and I struggled most of 2019 to consistently earn more than $2,000. There are a lot of months where I made well well below that, some months that I made nothing. And um, I really struggled with how to position myself, if I should niche down into something, the type of work that I wanted to do, the types of clients that I wanted to do. Um, and I just wasn't sure how to do it. And I think a big part of that was that I was doing it all alone. <laughs> so then how did you how did you move past the 2K mark? What contributed to that? Yeah. So I think 2020 was a really big tr um, transition point for me. I started to uh, join copywriting groups, join copy courses, and um, really start to invest in my business from that perspective. And that gave me a huge boost just to be around people who were trying to do the same thing that I was. 
Um, and initially I saw some really good um, kind of progress in the first couple of months. And then obviously in March, COVID hit uh, us and I lost all of my clients, um, most of which were retainer clients that I thought would keep me safe. And I realized I had to reinvent myself once more. And that's when I really got into pitching. And I really kind of scaled my business to 10K, my first 10K month ever in 30 days after that. So you're definitely known for pitching, for teaching people how to pitch. Let's let's get in the nuts and bolts of this. I'm guessing that's probably why most people are actually listening to this episode is to get the secrets from, from Brie. So yeah, talk us through what you do when you pitch and how we as copywriters can use pitching to actually grow our business, especially if we're stuck like you were with no clients or we've just lost clients. But even you know, in order to augment a business that we already have or to find better clients, what should we do? Well, I think the the first thing to take note of, because there's so much stigma around cold pitching, in my view, there's, there's really two types of cold pitching. So there's traditional cold pitching where you're sending a sort of generic template out to, you know, hundreds potentially of recipients. And then there's what I view as ethical cold pitching, where you're sending a very highly customized cold pitch that is empathetic and persuasive, and it goes to a single recipient. And I think a lot of the people who are struggling with cold pitching are struggling with traditional cold pitching. And that's uh, that's the first style that I tried, and I got basically no results. I would love to hear, Bree, just as we're talking about pitching, like how the process of reinventing yourself, and just to kind of back up, because that ultimately led to you pitching. So what did that look like when you hit zero clients, you lost all your clients, and you were just like, I have to reinvent myself and figure this out? Well, I was definitely devastated initially. I think for a good week, I was just sort of disbelieving because it all kind of happened in one week. It was sort of like dominoes. Each one of my clients would reach out and say, "Um, you know, COVID's really hitting me hard. I need to hit pause, which I knew was a euphemism for canceling. And I took some time to kind of reflect on that and recognized a lot of the projects that I was working on and a lot of the clients that I was working with at that time, I had been complaining just, you know, a few weeks earlier that they weren't the projects that I really wanted to do and they weren't the clients that I really wanted to work with. And I had to kind of shift my perspective a little bit and recognize that this was actually an opportunity to try to go after the clients that I really wanted instead of hiding from them um, or hoping that after months or years of working with the types of clients that I was working with at that time, that they would somehow notice me and and come out and find me, right? Um, So there was a lot of mindset work that was happening there. But at the same time, I, I tried to get comfortable with this idea of trying on an identity. It's not something I have to commit to. It's not something that's going to be forever. I don't need to choose my niche right now, but I can try something on again for a week. So going back to that idea of, you know, business roulette and testing and experimenting, I kind of did the same thing with testing and experimenting uh, how I'm going to position myself, how I'm going to get clients, how I'm going to send this pitch out. Uh, And I think that was a big part of um, what led to so much success so quickly. Yeah, I know I'm going to be putting you on the spot with this question, but as you know, as you talk about the pitch, your approach to pitching and the differences between that and traditional cold pitching, will you share a pitch with us? Do you have something that you can, you know, walk us through and show us how you've done it differently? Oh, that's a great ask. Let me let me pull one up, um, so I can share that with you. But I'll say, 
Um, just to kind of talk about what's really the core difference, and I think where potentially we as copywriters uh, kind of get stuck or, or, or tend to make mistakes, is that we're trying to pitch ourselves right? Our, or our copy work. Um, and we're often trying to pitch our just worth as human beings. Uh, and that's kind of what we're told to do, right? You're supposed to prove that you're worth someone's time, prove that you deserve to be in their inbox. And I think that naturally puts us into a power dynamic where the recipient, they have the power, the money, they get to make the decision on whether they're um, going to choose you or respond to you or pick you. And I think that's why there's a lot of stigma around pitching being annoying or um, feeling like a desperate freelancer. And that's why I'm such a proponent of pitching um, a problem rather than pitching your own work. So I'm going to pull up an example, and I can I can talk you through it. But I will warn you, they're a little bit on the longer side. No, that's that's totally cool, though, because I think people who are listening would love to see. Okay, you know, I hear so much about cold pitching and what works and what doesn't work, but actually seeing a, a real example, I think, is incredibly helpful. So, yeah, feel free to to share whatever you think is going to be most helpful. Okay, so I've got one pulled up, and this is a pitch that went out to Belinda Weaver, who is. And the, the show woman behind Copyright Matters and one of the hosts of Hot Copy podcast. Yeah, she's been on the pod, this podcast as well. Yes, exactly. So I'm hoping those who are listening uh, may have a, a sense of who she is. And I want to share a little bit of kind of the seed in terms of how I decided to pitch her and, and why. And I had really been paying attention to what she was sharing, you know, in her podcast, um, in her social media, to her email list, in the groups that I'm a part of that she's in. And I really recognized that she was getting ready to do a big launch and she was stepping into a new audience. She's, she has a program called Everyday Copy, which is a copywriting course for business owners. And most of her other content and courses and programs have been directed for copywriters. So this was sort of a new step for her. And this was in 2020 when, you know, kids are home from school, there's a lot more distractions going on. So she shared that there was a lot um, going on for her and trying to manage all of the things. And, uh, and what and she was sharing this in the context of how you can do how you can get a little bit more organized and sort of stay the course for yourself. But I recognize that there was um, a pain point there. And that was kind of the seed of my pitch, which I can share. Okay, so um, I said, hey, Belinda, I know you're gearing up for the launch of Everyday Copy, which is a phenomenal idea, by the way. You shared what a big mindset challenge that is for you. And I get it. It's a difficult time to be launching anything right now. Everyone in the house making noise and asking for your attention. Concentrating is basically mission impossible right now. Everybody and their poodle is throwing out opinions on whether people should be marketing, selling, or launching right now. You're constantly reminding yourself that you know what is right for your audience. You're already stretched pretty th thin between the copywriting masterclass, confident copywriting membership, writing copy for clients, momming, wifing, breathing, heaven forbid you want to incorporate a moment for self-care, which is why I think I could be a huge asset to you for this launch. We both know you can tackle it solo because you're a champ. You built a business from the ground up the way every freelancer dreams of doing it. But what if you didn't have to go it alone? What if you had an experienced copywriter with multiple launches under her belt who knew your voice and your audience, and she could tackle those remaining copy projects you need to tick off before cart open day? I've pulled tips and tricks on how to emulate voice and tone from brand copywriters like Abby Woodcock and Justin Blackman. 
I've studied conversion principles from CRO top guns like Joanna Weave and Conversion XL. I've swiped sales page anatomy and email sequence structure from copy geniuses like you. And most importantly, I've helped coaches in the marketing, writing, business, and mindset spaces to launch new programs, courses, and paid offers with incredible results. I've created the sales page and email sequence for a program launch of a content marketing coach, which brought in 12K in the first hour. I developed the sales funnel for a business coach's first ever launch, which resulted in three times more conversions than she hoped for. I wrote the email copy for three separate launches on behalf of a marketing coach, all of which saw email open rates consistently above 60%. I'd love to help you get those kind of results for your next launch. Then you could have that time and headspace for more important things. You could spend the afternoon with your two tiny humans who keep barging into your office with questions and announcement every 20 minutes while I craft a sales page that persuades each decision maker persona that yes, now is the time to invest in their business. You could wrap up with that book you've been dying to finish with Fenris on your lap while I draft an email sequence that moves readers through the stages of awareness and primes them to say yes as soon as they land on that killer sales page. You could drift off to sleep without an ounce of sweaty anxiety because your lizard brain knows that I've got the funnel strategy support you need to launch this thing on time and on par with your previous launches. I know you shared your course launch progress in the group as a mindset reminder, but I'd love to help you make this next launch your smoothest one ever, especially when everything feels so turned upside down. Because you're probably, because when you're asked to step up, it probably means it's time for some help. When the goal is to push through, a helping hand is the best way to avoid burnout. And when you're under pressure, unloading your plate is the way to keep your cool. I know schedules are busy, and trying to squeeze in yet another call is a frantic game of calendar Tetris, so instead of hopping on a call, why don't you tell me what's left on your launch copy plate, and I'll send you a video that walks you through how I can tackle it for you. What pieces of launch copy are still crowding up your to-do list? Wow. (laughs) Free mic drop moment. Um, We're assuming that you landed this project, right? Uh, So I got a response 10 minutes later saying she absolutely wanted to just hop on a call. And um, that project we actually didn't do, but that conversation turned into a different project. And we've since worked together multiple times. Okay. Well, I love everything about it. And I'd like to analyze that a bit more. But first, I want to back up and just I want to hear about the process before you even wrote that. You mentioned that you were on her list you were kind of studying and you knew what was happening in her world, that she had kids and, and she was about to launch. But can you give us any tips? If we, if we want to craft something as brilliant as this, we're going to need the ingredients. So are there any rough guidelines as far as like get on their list, like read their emails for at least a month to know what's happening, check out their Instagram feed, pay attention to personal, what's happening to them personally. How, how do you do that research and what do you suggest? Yeah, so a lot of those things that you mentioned are the types of uh, sort of research practices that I do and recommend to my students. I don't know that there's a specific timeline. We need to do it for X amount of time, but it is helpful when you have a lot of different pieces that you can collect and pull from. So I took a look at her email list um, and the types of things that she had been sharing. I took a look at what she shared in her free groups and on her podcast, listened to multiple episodes, um, both as as someone who 
just enjoys hearing from her. Um, and as somebody who is um, going back and looking for specific details, and then again, kind of around her social media. So one of the really core pieces that's happening all throughout this pitch and in every pitch that I send is voice of customer, right? A lot of the things that I'm mentioning are pulled directly from what she has shared before and even using a little bit of her language. Um, so the end of the pitch, for example, when I'm talking about like when you need to step up and push through and under when you're under pressure, like that's really everything that she has shared with her audience of like, this is when you need to ask for help or this is when you need to um, kind of avoid burnout. And there are a lot of examples sprinkled throughout the pitch uh, of that. But I would say the core piece that's happening here is I really focused on a problem, right? The challenge that she was facing at this point was that she has a ton to do. It's really overwhelming. And there were some specific mindset challenges around ensuring that this was going to be the type of launch that she felt like she had set a standard for, right? And trying to do all of these things in... I sent this in early April 2020, right? So this was a kind of right as the um, pandemic hit. There was a lot of questions around how do we operate a business? How do we do launches? How do we talk um, about selling during this time? And so I'm addressing all of that, uh, what's relevant to her and then what's going through her mind or what she's shared that she's experiencing and painting that as kind of the landscape of the challenge um, and then presenting uh taking some of that off her plate as the solution. I'm not even presenting myself as a solution, really. It's that um, the sales page, the email sequence, specific copy projects that need to get done for her launch to be successful, she doesn't have to do it anymore. And then I'm really coming in as the product. If we think about the stages of awareness to say, I'm the one to take that care of that for you and providing a little bit of um, credibility to, to build some trust that I can do that. And you'll notice... I'm also borrowing a lot of credibility because I didn't have a lot of my own fancy client names to drop at this time. And a lot of the specific stats that I'm pulling out um, are just framed in a way uh, to make them sound their best. For example, um, I mentioned a sales funnel. They got three more conversions than the coach hoped for, but her expectations or her hopes were quite low. So I'm basically taking what felt like the small wins that I had experienced and really the only three clients that had ever tracked anything at all and uh, turning that into credibility for uh, why I should come in and, and help Belinda with this upcoming launch. Yeah. I, I love everything that you're sharing. As you were reading through the pitch, I started writing down a lot of the same things, you know, how you were building your credibility, the borrowed authority, um, and, and what you pointed out about, you know, putting your successes in the best light is something that Paris Lampropoulos talked about in our first IRL. And that video is in the copywriter underground, um, and highly recommend, you know, that you're using that, that strategy. But the thing that I really, really liked about what you did is as you mentioned, you focus on a problem, but you future pace the solution like five times. Like you keep, you kept giving like, and you're going to get this awesome result and you're going to get this awesome result. And it like, you almost make it impossible to say no, because the transformation is so awesome. Of course, I'm going to hire you and to make my life um, perfect. So not just focusing on the, Hey, I see you need an, uh, you know, you need a launch page or you need a web page or whatever the thing is. And I can do a web page. You're actually solving a much deeper psychological problem for, for the potential client. 
I love that you said making it impossible to ignore because that's actually something I've heard multiple times. I've pitched a lot of copywriters to take on their copy projects now, and, and that's one of the things that I hear a lot. The most common response that I'll get to a pitch, even if the answer to working together is a no, is thank you. People are just so grateful to get a pitch that is personalized, that has been crafted with thought, and uh, provide some insight into their business and something that they could do, whether that's now or in the future. And uh, and I'm really glad that you brought up future pacing too, because I think that's a really part, uh, important part of uh, the framework that I teach is really getting very visceral with what that process is, is going to look like uh, in terms of the benefits at the end. Um, and something that I don't have a ton in this pitch that I include a lot more in the pitches I write now is really agitating that problem and making it feel very real and very present so that as somebody reads through this, uh, they're feeling that sense of urgency to respond. It feels impossible to ignore. My favorite part of the email is the close and how easy you make it for the recipient. It's like, we don't even have to get on a call. I know you're busy, but I'm going to give you a solution if you just give me a little bit of information. I think that's so smart considering, especially in April when um, uh, you know people are just so overwhelmed, adding another call just feels like another to-do on the list. So that that really stood out to me. Um, Bree, I would love to hear a little bit more about just as you are working with students now um, and as you've worked through this, this process yourself, what do we need to avoid? So we heard, you know, how well this was written, but what, what, ten, what mistakes tend to pop up as we're trying to kind of create a similar uh, script and kind of follow a similar framework? I think the biggest, uh, one of the biggest challenges is actually something you sort of hinted at. So the call to action that I have in the pitch to Belinda, um, I'm not asking for a call because I tried that um, multiple times in other pitches and it consistently failed. And I think the reason for that and the reason why other people might be experiencing something similar is um, because we get super focused on closing the sale, right? I think Cold pitching is, is very obviously tied to sales. So we get into this thought process that we need to focus on just closing the sale, getting to the um, you know paid deposit or signed contract. But in reality, again, it's a little bit of a perspective shift um, of thinking about cold pitching is just another way to start a conversation. It's just a, a, a colder conversation. So it's even more important to think about the stages of awareness. And if you're showing up in somebody's inbox and pitching a problem, then great. Now they're problem aware, um, but they're not ready to, to make a purchase yet. We still need to start a conversation around a solution. One of the things that I talk about with my students is um, you're directing their attention to a problem and starting a conversation around the solution. And when we move into cold pitch, suddenly uh, when we start getting responses, uh, we'll often ask, you know, go straight for the call or, or try and make the sale or close the deal, you know, if you will, in an email, rather than continuing to repurpose, rehash that pitch, uh, reframe those benefits, talk through the agitation points, really make it um, to a point where when you do get on a call, uh, they are actually ready to start talking about the project as uh, a reality and not just as a possibility. Okay, let's stop here and talk about a couple of things Brie mentioned. So first, I love this concept of business roulette 
and how she generated different ideas to figure out number one, which business model was feasible and actually had legs, and which ones she enjoyed too. And so I think it's a concept that we can all use, even if we've already figured out our business that we're, you know, it's copywriting and we have these services. Um, I think it's a really fun concept that allows this element of play and experimentation in what we do as business owners, because there's so many different evolutions of our business. And so instead of just thinking there's one way to approach our business growth, um, we can integrate Bree's idea around business roulette and play and sample a lot of different ideas before we decide which one works for us. Yeah, I really like the way that Brie kind of uses tools like brainstorming to address things that maybe you wouldn't think about using brainstorming. So, you know, generating lots of ideas about what to even do. A lot of us would just say, well, I want to be a writer or I want to be, you know, X, whatever the thing is. And the fact that she's so open to just lots of ideas in every aspect of her business. So using it here, using it in, you know, her approaches to the products that she offers and services. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's really cool. It's, Definitely a process that more people should go through, though, because, you know, even when we're thinking about the products that we offer, the services that we offer for our clients, we need to think through, like, is there really a business here? Is there profit to be made? Can I charge enough of it uh, for it to cover my expenses? Is that a price that my clients are going to pay? And a lot of that sort of played out as Brie tried the different businesses that she went into or that she thought about quickly discovering that, you know, for many of them, there wasn't profit there, or there wasn't, you know, the, the engagement that she needed to have in order to uh, create something that worked, but also, you know, thinking through like, how did it, how did she enjoy it? How did it connect with the purpose that she had? I just, I think it's a, a really smart approach to thinking through, you know, starting a business and the exact product services that you want to offer. The other thing that I think we should talk about here uh, is just going a little deeper on Bree's cold pitch. So obviously we made some comments about what she was doing when uh, we were talking with Bree uh, about, you know, each part of it. But, you know, specifically as I was going through and listening to her, you know, make that pitch, she, you know, she identifies a need. She, you know, found uh, a client who is overwhelmed, you know, worried about the pandemic. She's got a launch. She's got kids at home. Like, very clearly identified what that need was and then immediately uh, jumps to flattery, you know, and appealing to uh, Belinda's identity and who she is and how she can easily do this on her own, but, uh, you know, that she might want some help. And she borrows authority by mentioning, you know, prominent names of people that she's trained with and, and she, you know, goes into the things that she knows how to do there. And, and I mean, like within the first two paragraphs, she's used three different kinds of persuasion techniques that have immediately connected with her audience. And I mean, we, we can keep going on. I mean, there's like four or five more that she's doing. Yeah. I just, you know, I've been, since we interviewed Brie, I've been sharing her process with so many different copywriters and kind of stumbling along because it's so, so well done. And I really love that she like you said, she uses the principles that we already know work as copywriters that we do for our clients all the time, but we often forget when we're writing our own copy or pitching our own services. And so I did I did love that she highlighted that she studied these prospects. So Belinda, for instance, she was observing, it sounded like for a couple of weeks and paying attention to what language 
Belinda was using and reflecting that and capturing the voice of customer. And, um, and then also digging into per- the personal side too. So not just appealing to the business needs, but also understanding there's this person behind it who has other needs and has a family and has other um, pain points and desires beyond the business that are connected to the business, but go deeper. And she touched on those too. And so I also was interested in the fact that it seemed like a really long pitch as she read it to us. And I think oftentimes we feel like they should be short. I know I've given that advice to other copywriters, like maybe, you know, let's cut it down. But it also just shows that if you're hitting these different um, techniques and kind of highlighting these different areas, hitting the pain points, talking about future pacing, adding the credibility, if you're moving like you would on a sales page to provide that argument of why you're the best person to help, it can be longer, especially if it's well-written and it's clear that you've studied them and you know what you're doing and you are solving a really big problem. Uh, it doesn't have to be a short pitch and, and Bree has proven that. You mentioned this while we were chatting with Bree, but I think it bears repeating. And that is that she made it very easy for Belinda to respond. And it, the message is so compelling, you know, with the credibility that she's built, the future pacing of how great the results are going to be that uh, she got a response in 10 minutes. And that's, that's amazing. I mean, the number of cold pitches that we get, certainly that land in my inbox that are not good, that I don't respond to, or, you know, may take me days to respond to something because it's just not engaging. It's not something that I need. It's not hitting one of my needs. Uh, there's a ton of those, but like reading Breeze and hearing Breeze, uh, I would also respond in, in, you know, 10, 15 minutes. So it's, it's worth going to the extra effort in order to connect with somebody on that level. And the cool thing about cold pitching in general and doing it well is that you can really build a business around your dream clients. And I think that's basically what happened to Brie when she lost all of her clients um, and, and during the downturn. And she had to rethink like, well, what do I want my business to look like? Who do I want to work with? And um, the power in cold pitching is that you can choose the people you want to work with. You don't just have to take the leads that come to you, which I know, you know, that can happen to many of us, especially as we grow and we build a reputation and we get a lot of leads. Oftentimes we just work with the people who are contacting us. And sometimes that's good. You can have really, if you've marketed well, you can attract great clients, but oftentimes we don't really just like take the wheel and think about, well, who, who do I want to work with? Who do I want to go after that those people that might not be reaching out to me or even know I exist. And so this whole model around cold pitching with empathy is really about just kind of taking the power back in your business and deciding what you want rather than just taking what comes your way. Yeah, that's a really good point. Using cold pitching to choose your clients, uh, the people you want to work with, I think is maybe in a lot of cases, the only way to to connect with those ideal clients who will never know that we're out there wanting to work with them. Okay, so let's go back to our interview with Bree and talk a bit more about what happens after she sends her pitches that make clients even more likely to say yes. So how many steps are there you know, from the point where you're sending out this pitch, you're creating that relationship, uh, you know, about how many back and forths are there either, you know, email or, or maybe it happens over social media or messages or whatever before you actually get to a signed project? So it's typically been about one or two exchanges after I get a positive response. And 
Again, my favorite way to do this is in a loom video, like I suggest in the pitch to Belinda, because I think it helps for for building a little bit of that know, like, and trust factor for me to show up on video, share my personality a bit, and then talk through the strategy or the thought process behind that pitch and give them a little bit more insight into what it would be like to work with me. And that often can happen over email before we get on a call. Um, but that said, as I started to pitch um, higher uh, um kind of price points in terms of the types of projects that I've been pitching, uh, there is a little bit more uh, time that it takes in order to move all the way through to the proposal and sign contract process. And, and that generally might take an additional one or two phone calls between the initial kind of discovery-ish call to the actual proposal call. Can you break down the Loom video even more? You know, is this typically, do you recommend a two-minute video and what are some of the ingredients that have made those videos work well? So I definitely recommend keeping it under five. I'll generally gauge the amount of time that I'll spend in that little that video based on how they respond. And I'll also say that when I'm getting these positive responses and when my students are getting positive responses, it's not just, yes, I'm interested. They're, they're incredibly enthusiastic and they're sharing a lot more detail of like, oh, I've just been thinking about that. Um, or I was talking with my assistant about doing that. Here's what our goal is, or here's what we're trying to get to. So they're providing a lot more detail about what's going on in their business that you can then use in that Loom video to talk more directly and more specifically about that problem. And so I would say the average Loom video is probably two to three minutes. And again, I'm kind of rehashing the pitch. So I'm not necessarily talking about myself. I'm really talking about, you know, I know that you are working on XYZ. I know that this is a problem or a challenge for you. Here's what that solution would really look like. And then I might pop in an example of, you know, I've done this before for a similar client and here are the types of results we've gotten. And um, But that's a newer thing that I've added to my Loom videos because when I first started doing this, again, like I didn't have a ton of examples. I had no portfolio. I had no fancy names to drop and I had no stats that I felt were uh, something I could realistically share and people would be impressed by. So clearly you figured this out. At what point did you realize that you were doing something different from what other copywriters are doing and that you could actually like turn this into a product, help other copywriters do the same or take the same approach when it comes to cold pitching? It was accidental. I had started sharing this in the types of, uh, in the copywriting groups I was in just to say, you know, I've been struggling for so long and I just had a win. And, you know, I wanted to share that with everyone. And people started asking me, you know, how am I approaching my cold pitches? Could I do, you know, like a class or, or a master class on it? And I put that together in September of 2020, thinking that, oh, cool, maybe like 25 or 30 people will show up and we can talk about cold pitching. Uh, and, and then just hundreds of people signed up to, to come and join and learn about cold pitching. And I realized that this was something I was doing quite differently from uh, kind of what's out there or what's traditionally taught. And it's something that people want to learn more about. I think I had a, maybe a fear that I was the only one who thought cold pitching was going to be cool. <laughs> um, and so it was really exciting to see that people were also 
interested in this um, more ethical style of cold pitching, and that really resonated. Um, and then from there, I sort of transitioned into my very um, first program. I did a beta launch of Cold Pitch Catalyst. And again, people you know, raised their hand and said yes, and they wanted to join. And it's just continued to grow into um, you know, now a course. I have a, a sort of sales mastership program and a digital product now. Can you just speak to the power of this um, and how it's transformed your business? Maybe how it transformed your business um, before you even launched your products and just to show what's possible if you use this approach to pitching. I think the biggest thing, so thinking about before I turn this into a product side of my business and just pitching clients that I really wanted to work with. They were the types of clients that I thought I would have to wait months or years to build up enough authority or enough great results or portfolio pieces for them to hear about me somewhere, you know, on the internet or through a connection um, and, and reach out to me and say, I heard you're doing good things and I want you to work on this project, which is a really cool you know, thing that I think we a lot of us copywriters want to experience. And so it was pretty mind blowing to skip, you know, months or years of waiting and just go straight to those brands and say, here's a problem I can solve for you. Let's, let's work together. And then for them to say yes. And so I felt like I, I sort of skipped the, the middle part of the process that I thought had to happen, uh, where you continue paying your dues and grow slowly. And just being able to move from, you know, struggling to hit 2K to, you know, consistently making 10K and then struggling from working with uh, clients who, you know, were lovely people who I enjoy, uh, like getting to know on a personal level, but weren't the types of clients that I wanted to grow my business with to working with exactly the types of clients that I want to work with. And I think just the confidence boost that happens between, um, feeling like you have to wait for people to come to you and just and hope that you're going to be good enough to deciding who you want to work with and going out and starting those conversations and kind of showing up as a partner in those conversations. I think that was really transformational for me in 2020. So as we're talking today, I know you're just wrapping up the second time that you're launching your uh, master course and, and teaching about this. How has having a a product or a course changed your business and what you do uh, on a daily basis? Ooh, it's been, it's been a huge shift. I, the first time I did the beta, I had no idea that I was going to launch it. It was something people asked me for, and then I created it as a result. And so I definitely kind of spun myself into burnout because I already had booked myself solid with client work and I was creating this program and I wanted to ensure that I delivered above and beyond for both. Um, so now um, that I've had some time to recover for that and I'm going into the second round with more intentionality, I am being much more um, decisive or discerning about uh, where my time and my attention goes. So I can work on a client when it's sort of um, off season from a course because I deliver it live and then move into um, actually working uh, with people in the course because it's a really one-on-one um, kind of intimate environment because uh, people are getting a lot of support and help because there's such a big mindset piece around cold pitching uh, and a lot of imposter complex tends to show up. And so we work a lot through that. And I think it's just helped me reflect back on how 
kind of imposter complex um, shows up in my business and how often I've allowed it to stop me from doing something I really wanted to do. Um, and now I use that as sort of fuel to take imperfect action as frequently as possible because um, that's really what's helped me grow so much. Bree, I would love to hear about how you create space today for thinking time to reflect, to analyze, because I know from our conversations in the think tank, that's you're really intentional about the business you're building and about giving yourself time to focus on the big picture and to think through ideas and strategies and to measure, you know, financial results and measure your confidence every week. So how do you approach your calendar and your schedule and the way that you spend your time? Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I think I sort of learned the hard way that when I didn't schedule in the time to do it, it wouldn't happen, right? It's kind of like when we try and work on our business in the pockets of time left over from client work, we generally don't make a lot of headway. So um, I generally will block out space in my calendar a week at a time um, and just block out like all of Monday is just uh, reflecting uh, doing some mindset work because I found that's been a really key part of moving forward in my business and, and really growing it um, and getting really clear on what are my goals, what's my vision, what are the things that I can do that's going to get me there the fastest. And I've become much more discerning about what I allow onto my calendar or what I allow to stay on my calendar. So if something is not going to immediately serve my goals or my, uh, my vision, it'll be the last thing that I put onto my calendar, if at all. And I think having that day blocked out to really do that work, plus I also do an hour kind of every morning or every weekday morning to um, just sort of um, have some time to think about and listen to my business. Something that actually Joanna Weeb said um, has really stuck with me, which is that businesses want to grow. And I started thinking about that as like our businesses are sort of this I don't, living entity almost, right? It wants to grow and get stronger. So I see it as my job to listen, figure out what it needs, look for data that I can use and figure out better ways to give it fuel without sacrificing me and what I want my business to provide to me. So I spend a lot of time um, in that space so that the rest of the time that I'm implementing uh, is getting me closer to where I want to go. So Brie, if you could hop into your DeLorean time machine and go back to 2018, you know, and and talk to Brie, who was writing down all those ideas of the businesses to try and, you know, trying to figure out like how does how does she make this thing work? What advice would you give her? Oh, that's such a good question. I have so many things. I would want to just shout a lot of things at her. But if I had to just choose a couple, um, I would say again, like this, this idea of imperfect action, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be good initially. It just needs to be action. Uh, and that's, I think that's really helped me to build my confidence and get comfortable with experimentation, trying something out, seeing how it fits, seeing how it feels, and then reflecting and looking at, uh, what I can learn from that and, and what I can pull through with that. And so like as cheesy and cliche as it is, like, fail fast, keep iterating, like just try something new and see how it works. Um, and I think I could have, I think that was the one thing that often stopped me from getting those types of results that I wanted was that I would sit and kind of fear and just be like, 
just think about all the things that could go wrong instead of just trying it and see what might go right. Bree, you know, you joined the Think Tank a couple months ago, and um, I'd love to hear just what has surprised you the most about your experience inside the Think Tank, or maybe even just like what, what's been most helpful for you inside the, the mastermind. Honestly, it's been the two of you. I had no idea just how many amazing ideas you two can throw at people. I know I shouldn't be surprised because that was my experience in the underground and anytime I showed up for events there. Um, But I just leave our sessions with pages of notes and ideas. And now so that every time we have a call, I block out two hours after that call so I can put together my plan to implement and start taking action. I'm going to have to start blocking out two hours before our call so we make sure we bring more ideas to the table. <laughs> yes. I Well, and Bree, that's what I, I love about you. And I think it's really apparent in the success and business growth you've had is that you take those ideas. We can throw ideas at you all day long. We can do that and just throw ideas at anybody. But you take them and you figure out, well, what is working for me? What maybe doesn't resonate? And you spend those two hours actually creating your own plan and executing. And I think that is huge for any of us as copywriters to to set aside that time to do it and not just take ideas and throw them away or put them on to the side. So I think that's such a huge part of your success. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that because that was definitely, that's not like an in, ingrained in my personality or that was not something that ever felt natural. I spent many, basically my whole life thinking that mindset wasn't a thing. It was just sort of this woo-woo concept that uh, other people bought into. And I had no idea that you could, you know, be in control of your thoughts or emotions and reflect on them and analyze them and understand where they came from and start to change the way you think or believe in order to change the actions that you take. So um, it's definitely been a journey of stepping into that and and figuring out how to do that mindset work so that I can be at a point where, um, I mean, I'm still working on it, but just starting to do that reflective work and using it to inform the way I, I grow my business for the next, you know, however long I'm in business. So Brie, you've gone from, you know, $5 content projects to switching to copywriting to, you know, $2,000 months that are maybe infrequent to $10,000 months to launching a course. Like what's next for you? you? It feels like maybe you've done it all. Oh goodness. I hope not. Um, I think this kind of goes back to always just wanting to experiment and grow. And I would love to continue to create new ways of supporting entrepreneurs and freelancers, copywriters, especially in feeling in control of their business and really connecting the mindset and strategy piece, especially around the topic of sales, because I think there's there's just so much that comes up in terms of fears and anxieties uh, around those conversations, um, but they can be so incredibly powerful. So in terms of very next steps, like what I'll be jumping into tomorrow is actually going back to the uh, cold pitch masterclass that I created, which is my digital product and um, re kind of recording with new content and new resources. So um, around the time, I think that this will, will be live. It, it'll be out with a lot more um, support and direction for people who are interested in giving ethical cold pitching a go and um, getting results in their business so they can k- kind of go through that growth cycle for themselves. 
So that's the end of our interview with Bree. Before we wrap up, let's talk about one or two things that stand out from that last half of our discussion. So Kara, one of the things that jumped out to me is, you know, in how she follows up, she's not necessarily following up with another email or, you know, text or social media or whatever. She's sending a video, which has the advantage of showing her face. You know, um, it's more personal. It's a way to almost get to know somebody really quickly. This, again, it's just like another sign of the genius of this process in trying to connect very quickly with a potential client you want to work with on a very personal level. What did you think about that? Yeah, well, I think it's it's smart, and it reminds me of what we talked about with Chris Collins in episode number. Rob, you probably know the number. Yeah, I do know the number because it was last episode, two twenty three. Two twenty three. Chris Collins, who talked about, you know, he follows up with prospects like seven seven times at least, um, and so we talked about the power of following up and how you can't just send out all these pitches and expect to hear back from people. Although Brie clearly has a really good um, open rate and interest rate. But I also love that Brie has kind of upped the game even more using video as a follow-up tool. And I just, it's something that we've used for the Copywriter Club um, to build relationships. I think it's something that we want to use even more um, but there's still, even though video is not, it's not new. We, we're all talking about this. There are tons of different video apps that you can use. But even so, how many video pitches do we all receive, right? And how, like, we're still, the majority of us are not using video as a prospecting tool. So it allows Brie to stand out and doing it strategically rather than sending a rambling message for 10 minutes which people aren't going to watch for the most part, to be really clear about what you're saying, what you're offering, doing your homework. So there's a point to the video and it's under two minutes, right? (laughs) I will always watch a video. Somebody sends a video to me and it's clear that they put time into it, but it's like under two minutes. I will always watch it and I will always respond to it. But I can't say the same for just email or Facebook Messenger or Instagram DM. Um, But there's something so intentional and personal about video that most of us can't help but respond because it's different and clearly somebody put a lot of effort into that. So it warrants a response. Yeah. And you mentioned this a little earlier when we were talking about using cold pitching to reach out to the clients that you actually want to work with. Like when you create that personal connection through video, if you're reaching out to that ideal client that you've you know wanted to work with for a while and then they've never heard of you or whatever, you can almost short circuit that time that you need to put in uh, or you know the dues paying that Bree mentioned um, in order to, you know, you don't have to work for five years before you reach out and connect with those particular clients. Like that personal connection is everything. And so using video in addition to the personalized pitch uh, is just uh, something that maybe all of us should be, should be adopting. More videos for all of us. That's what we're saying. A lot more videos. Then another thing that jumped out at me, um, it was just kind of here towards the end where we're talking about taking imperfect action. And this is something that has become clearer and clearer to me the longer that I've been in business that, uh, you know, movement, taking action beats the person who takes more time to think things through or to perfect an idea. I I know Seth Godin has talked about shipping and uh, it's not about shipping something that's broken or, you know, putting something out there that doesn't work, but taking action before you're ready or taking action before something is perfect, before you even think that, you know, clients might love it. 
oftentimes, and, and, and maybe even more than often, you know, beats somebody who's sitting around waiting for things to be right, waiting for the perfect conditions, waiting until you've, you know, worked on the thing, or you've got the numbers, or you've been able to, you know, meet the right person or take the right course. Uh, that imperfect action is worth taking now because it will deliver far more results in the short term. And then again, in the longer term, than trying to get things perfect. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say, you know, we've been working with copywriters in the think tank mastermind and our roundtable mastermind. So high level copywriters who are doing really well in their business. And I, I feel like it's safe to say um, that the majority of them take imperfect action frequently and they're not waiting around for things to be perfect. And the reason that they're successful is because they jump in when they feel like there's a clear plan. But they they iterate along the way, and they're constantly t- trying to work on, you know, the improvements that are needed to make a service work or to make um, a product or a program work. And they they're just they're action takers. And so, um, even if it's not comfortable, I think it's worth looking at the people that you admire in business, whether it's a copywriter you admire or a marketer, and just um, observe kind of their way of taking action and perfect action if that's happening or not. Um, but I know it's true for what we've seen, at least in our copywriter sphere. Yeah, it's smart to surround yourself with action takers because you almost have to become one in order just to keep up. So that's true. One other smart thing that I really like that Brie did is that as we were wrapping up our interview, she made a special offer to listeners of the podcast. And we're going to share that with you in just a moment. But this just shows how good she is at making sure that she takes advantage of the opportunities that come her way. And so you know, she's offered a discount on something that she doesn't offer anywhere else. She does that here for people who listen to the podcast where she's been able to make a connection. She shared something that's incredibly valuable and then follows it up in order to, you know, get people to take action. So it's not just, hey, you know, listen to me on another podcast or visit my website, but she's she's made an offer. And so we'll uh, we'll tell you about that in just a second. Yeah. I mean, what I love about Bree's final offer, even for the listeners of the podcast, is just that she's so thoughtful and intentional about what she's offering to the world and how she's building her business. And it's just clear, I mean, you can hear it in this podcast interview, how much time she spends just thinking strategically about the decisions she's making and uh, the, the path that she's on and what she wants and what she doesn't want and what's working for her and what's not working for her. Not to say that she's got this perfect business because um, she's working on her own struggles as we all are. But I think what I take away the most from talking to Brie and from spending time with her in the think tank is just how um, growth and success as a copywriter and as a business person really comes from that quiet time and that CEO time, the renaissance time that we've talked about so many times. So really building that into your life and your your week and your business um, so that we're not just kind of on the hamster wheel and just trying to keep up as and struggling to keep up, but we're actually thinking clearly about what we're doing. And I, I just think it's so apparent from hearing her speak on this podcast interview, uh, how she's done that well and how it's inspiring to me because I think I could do that better too. So we want to thank Bree for coming on the show and sharing so much detail about her cold pitching process and how her business has changed over the last year. If you want to connect with Bree or learn more about her programs, go to coldpitchcopy.com forward slash TCC 
where you can go to get her masterclass for a crazy low rate of $37. Now, depending on when you're listening to this, the regular price is $97 or more. So that's a phenomenal deal. So that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit iTunes and leave a review of the show. Or even better, think of one or two people who could benefit from what you've heard. And there's got to be a few people on your list that can benefit from this episode. And then email them a link to the episode so that they can hear it too. To learn more about the copywriter Think Tank, which is uh, taking applications now, go to copywriterthinktank.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club. So